that work. That work is starting to pay off. And now Ooh. that it's starting to pay off, Note to self, do not catch a hornet. It was a sting you. The four o'clock football frenzy on Cofield and Company. Four o'clock hours here. That was Steve Smith, former NFL receiver, NFL analyst now. On set with uh, Gabe Henderson and Everett Tatum. And you can see him distracted. Play this one more time. We're waiting for it to load. So Steve Smith's sitting there. He's distracted. Something's flying around him. He snatches it out of the air, squeezes it, and then gets stung. That oh. work. That work is starting to pay off. And now Ooh. that it's starting to pay off. 22. Note to self. Do not catch a hornet. It was stung you. He, he caught what he thinks is a hornet or a bee and got stung like I mean, not everyone runs for the hills and freaks out around bees and hornets, but you certainly don't swipe through the air and try to grab it unless you've got some glove on. What's the process there? I don't know. I mean, I'm wondering, like, if the, you know, the people that stand around, sort of security or the producers or the, you know, the, I don't know what they would call it. What do they call it? Grips, whatever. I don't know. Whoever's standing around can help out there, shoo that thing away, get it away from them. You like Steve Smith as an analyst? Do you care? I don't know. I, I like him because he's uh, he's he's brutally honest. He 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 can he gets mad sometimes on set, man. When someone challenges him, like I thought he was going to kick the crap out of Michael Irvin a couple of years ago, and he has had you know during his career he had some anger issues. So like his his take when he gets on someone, it's it's real. Does he know the personnel in the NFL? Probably decently. I'll give you a guy who I always thought. Had one purpose for being on TV, and that was to talk about himself. And that was Deion Sanders. <laughs> and there were a couple of cases, you know, down the stretch where Deion was doing a lot of NFL TV work where he really didn't know current day personnel in the National Football League. So he moves on to coach in the MIAC. Have that right? The SWAC. Mm-hmm. Um, and you remember he made a big deal about being disrespected because someone called him Dion. He wants to be called Coach or Coach Prime. So then we see him in a video in the last couple of days claiming that the Hall of Fame has lowered its standards. They're letting in good, not great players. They should be letting in only game changers. There should be an extra level for right. guys like him. Yeah. He, he, there should be. It's become a free-for-all, right? Yeah. Um, and he's saying that, you know, there are people that are deserving. It's just more like the levels that they should. Like a different color jacket than other Hall of Famers. Give the very best players a different color jacket. Put their bus on a higher level inside the Hall of Fame in Canton. Okay. Here's the deal. The guys that go in the Hall of Fame, I don't think that I don't believe, outside of reporters, when you're there covering it, media, like in general, do you think that Raider fans are taking the time to care about Tony Baselli, Leroy Butler, Art McAnally, Sam? Like, if it's for the it's for the play, it's to honor your career, but. The people that are wrecking, like, they're not going to go, oh, well, he had this jacket, so, and disregard. When I went there, 
I appreciated everything that I saw, but I was seeking things as well. I wanted to go see my favorite player of all time in this room when there's like 12 wax guys. I wanted to see Walter Payton take a picture next to him. I was looking for certain busts. I wasn't looking at every single one of them, and I certainly wouldn't go, oh, well, this is on the upper level, so screw these guys. They're all Hall of Famers, and for the most part, the fans that are visiting, they're going there with a purpose. I can't imagine that you are scouring and combing every single one and going, this guy doesn't belong. This guy right. if, you know, if you never heard of him then, and you're not a fan of them, then you're probably not even paying attention. Right. But to my original point, I'm guessing he really doesn't know about the careers of many of the guys he's speaking of. Now, if he was talking about Leroy Butler, then say it. That's the other thing. Bruh, say it. Who's good and exactly. shouldn't be in next to you? Say it. Say it. Call, call them out. Call out the ones that you say don't deserve to be there. Because, in my opinion, in turn, what, as far as Cliff Branch is concerned, he belongs there. End of story. I mean, if you have a problem with Cliff Branch being there, so, I mean, I don't, you know, Dick Vermeil. Why doesn't Dick Vermeil belong there? He didn't say, but he didn't say, he didn't go after anyone, so now the whole class is open to speculation. Like, hey, who's Dion ripping? Thanks, Dion. Dion should be getting ready for the season. That's what he should be doing. Good point. Good story unfolding at Raiders training camp, and that is with Zamir White. Well, he already has a good story, and you wrote a story about his story. Uh, Derek Carr spoke about Zamir White, and uh, he's a big fan of the kid. It's unbelievable what he's you know gone through um, in his life, what his family's gone through in their life, um, and to see the adversity that he has <laughs> continually over overcome. Right, he just keeps doing it. He just keeps doing it, and then to see him get out there in his first preseason game and run with that violence and run with you know that passion, the way that he did, you know, it, it was unbelievable. Being around him, I always challenge him, but I challenge him in a different way than I challenge Max Crosby. I'm sure you guys hear me yelling at Max. Or, you know, the way I talk to Max is different than the way that I talk to him. You know, I'll just come up to him, and I'll be like, hey, I'm watching you in pass protection today. And he'll look at me and say, I got you. I really enjoy, at this stage of my career, watching these young guys come in and, um, you know, the guys that don't think they got it all figured out. You know, the guys that just come in and say, I just want to learn. I just want to help, help the team in any way that I can. He has that, and I think that's what makes him special. The guys who don't, think they have it all figured out. I like yeah. that line. I, I love like, that line. I like that line a lot because I'm sure as an NFL veteran, you see guys come in and like, bro, you have no idea what this level's like. Humble yourself. Yeah. Learn. Be open or you're going to get freaking lit up or you're going to embarrass yourself. You talked to Zamir White's high school coach. I did. I called Richard Bailey um, in North Carolina and had a nice conversation with him. And um, it was his st- – I mean, realistically, like he, he talked about some of the guys that have been in the NFL. They're not big names, but – this was his star pupil of all time. I mean, how special he was. Um, one of my favorite stories that he told, and I asked Derek about this, was that, you know, that little extra burst after the whistle blows in practice so a running back might go an extra 5, 10 yards. He said from day one as a freshman, and he never not did it again, he'd run 40 yards. So he knew if the practice, if the, if the play call in the practice was going to Zamir, he said sometimes it made me mad because I'd have to wait for him to get back. To the huddle but for those that don't know and you can find the uh the link i'll retweet the link about him but so he weighed one pound when he, his mother was six months pregnant the doctors wanted to terminate the pregnancy his great-grandmother said no we're going to ride this out just so she can have you know he can be born and then if he dies after that but he's going to be born so they they kind of for three months when then he was born with a cleft lip and a cleft palate. He was given two weeks to live. 
He spent the first three months of his life in a hospital, had a leak in his kidney, needed surgery for a hernia. In high school, his a senior tore his ACL, his right one. Freshman year, Georgia, both within one year, tears his left ACL. Oh, boy. Now, the whole story was chronicled, and the link is in my story by SEC Network and ESPN. It was so, not that it was tri- uh, copyrighted, but the story, that's how, it, that's how it is known. So click the link. But it's an amazing story. I'm going to tweet the link out. Um, this is a guy who wasn't even supposed to be born, let alone be on a football field. A couple days ago, I, I, I challenged the backs, too. I said, hey, put some unreal finishes on tape. And, like, we were in, like, group run, not even against the defense, and he's, you know, out the gate. And I said, you know, he's got some good ones to learn from in that room that do the same kind of stuff. And so him being in there and doing that, it doesn't surprise me that he's done that his whole life. Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. There's a lot of things going on in all of our lives outside of what happens inside this building. Uh, Just making sure the guys uh, are equipped with what they need if they need something from us. And also having an understanding. Everybody's day-to-day is not the same. We all deal with different things. We're all different human beings. And and they do a tremendous job of being available uh, when our players need them, or any of our staff for that matter. We absolutely push that if that's necessary. If that's something that we feel like could help somebody, then they they absolutely seek it out, and as they should. It's time for former Oakland Raider and NFL insider Stanford Routes on Cofield and Company. Josh McDaniels, the Raiders coach. A lot of mental health talk the last couple of days today. This morning, McDaniels addressed it after some questions, and Thayer Munford has been a, a story, and he addressed it yesterday. You know, the rookie out of Ohio State getting help yep. early with the Raiders and, and also over the course of his career at Ohio State. Stanford Route is with us. Stanford, how you doing, buddy? What's going on, fellas? Happy Friday to you. Happy Friday. Um, you know, the first thing I thought of, and I'm not against any of this, because I think everyone needs someone to talk to and everyone needs a break every once in a while, but, you know, traditionally in football, it's like toughen up, Buttercup. Uh, in your case, you know, a guy who played, you know, a while ago, how do you think this stuff would have flown back then where, you know, guys are like, hey, I need someone to talk to. I maybe have to sit out because I've got mental health issues. Oh, wow. You know, back when I was playing, that was something that I would go ahead and just venture to say that was more so frowned upon. And because it wasn't something that was going to be openly welcomed within the locker room or just within the football community, even from fans, that's something that I think a lot of players shied away from. A lot of players were bashful with speaking on publicly and things like that just because you don't want to be ostracized. You don't want to be ridiculed. You don't want to be crucified. And I say that because oftentimes, even teammates, but more importantly, probably fans, and just that overwhelming outward conception is that they think of athletes as gladiators. They think of them as not human. They think of them as kind of like aliens from another planet, as if they're not humans, as if they don't have human-like emotions, as if they don't go through the day-to-day trials and tribulations that everybody else goes through, almost like they look at you like you're made of stone and you're supposed to be emotionless, and that can't be anything further from the case. So it's definitely a new age, 
definitely a new time, and now everything is about mental health and respecting mental health. And right now, in America, or should I say on planet Earth, you have something negative to say, or you do not show the right level of compassion for somebody who is claiming to go through anything in the mental health category, anything in that neighborhood, and you're just deemed insensitive, and you'll, you'll be canceled and uh, censored for that. Let me ask you this, Stanford. I have been one that has said, I don't know, for probably eh, it's about eight, nine years now, that social media has ruined a lot of things, a lot of you know, relationships and, and just ways of life. Is this, though, an area where social media has helped in terms of the phrase, it's okay to not be okay because more and more people are vocal? I know I'm very vocal on my Instagram stories, in especially with men's mental health, that it's okay to talk. Do you think social media, media has been a benefit? Oh, uh, yeah, I would probably go ahead and say it's definitely been a benefit. I don't think that's been the only benefit. I think that as we now evolve as a society, you now see that we now have homosexual, or should I say gay football players in the NFL that were openly, publicly, proudly gay in the NFL. You know, it's now mental health isn't something that's frowned upon. So, yeah, social media has definitely played a positive part in that impact. I wouldn't say the only thing, but it definitely has moved the needle forward where now you're starting to see about inclusivity. You're seeing exclusivity being just pushed to the wayside. You're seeing people be more maligned for trying to actually push for exclusivity and things like that. Everything is now all-inclusive. Come as you are. We'll accept you as you are. It doesn't matter your race, your religion. It doesn't matter your sexuality. It doesn't matter if you are a perfectly healthy human being. It doesn't matter if you're mentally flawed or you have you lack mental health, things like that. Everything is now all-inclusive, and I think that's a beautiful thing for society. Believe in Raiders is the podcast that Stanford Route does uh, every single week. We tweeted it out a little earlier at ESPN Las Vegas. Check that out. He always gives us about 10, 15 minutes on Fridays, the uh, former Oakland Raider does. So what do we think is happening with Tom Brady? We don't have to speculate what the issues are, but the Buccaneers were really quick to say, you know what, hey, he's got some personal issues. We're praying for him. He'll be back in you know 10 days or so. This is highly unusual before the season, but I guess this is another part of, hey, we got to be understanding and, you know, if Tom Brady's got something serious to deal with, then he's got to take time off. Well, I would go ahead and take them at their word that this is something that was discussed months back as far as him being able to be excused from the team around the third week of training camp. That way they go ahead and get the first couple weeks to get their chemistry, things like that, intact. And then, I mean, it's Tom Brady for crying out loud. Is Tom Brady really going to suffer from actually missing – 10 to 11 days of training camp. Tom Brady's 45 years old. He has more Super Bowl titles than any NFL franchise in history. So as far as on the football side of things, I don't think this is going to affect him. Now, as far as personally, anything like that, just like everybody's saying, you pray for him, you hope that there's nothing wrong, and you pray that this was a planned hiatus that he was going to be taking in mid-August and not something that's abrupt. Not something that's an emergency, any sort of personal reason like that in that regard. So I don't, But I don't think as far as on the football side of things, taking their word for it that this is a planned hiatus, I don't think that this is going to affect the Tampa Bay Buccaneers not one bit. So let me ask you this, because I, we were talking earlier, three games, three preseason games instead of four. Um, coaches are sort of treating this like 
week two in a normal situation. We're seeing more starters play one or two series. But in today's games that are already underway, there's been a Cleveland player that's gone down is questionable. There's a Falcons receiver who's not going to return, Drake London. Um, your thoughts on how coaches should go about week one, which in reality would be the same distance from game one of the regular season, is week two in prior years. Uh, I would still. I'm still of the mindset. Maybe I'm. Maybe maybe I'm old school. Maybe I'm an old head. I'm still of the mindset that in the preseason you still need to get something in on, on the books. You need to get some sort of a sweat going. Go ahead, get hit one good time. That way you can go ahead and kind of reinvigorate that callus that you always develop over your body throughout all football players throughout the course of time. But I think that it's. Opening day, opening Sunday in September is the first time you're getting hit, the first time you're delivering a hit. To me, I feel like that's a little bit of a disadvantage. And to me, I feel like that's when you get hurt a lot easier is when you have not been hitting like that. You haven't been getting hit like that. But like I said, if you're somebody of the Los Angeles Rams, Sean McVay persuasion, I understand that. But if you're not going live in practice, if you're not having those joint practices against other teams where you're actually going live, periods, things like that, to go ahead and still get that live work in, I do believe that it's actually going to cause you to come out rusty in the first part of the season because the only way to get used to NFL game speed is to do what? Play in an NFL game. So obviously I see why everybody is very cautious, why everybody's a little skittish on getting their star players hurt. But at the same time, you want to make sure that they are well within rhythm, that they are a well-oiled machine offensively, defensively, special teams, all of that. So I understand the downside to it, but I still believe that this is a man's game. It's a violent game. We all knew what we signed up for when we decided to go ahead and step on those lines or step inside those lines. So you just got to go ahead and you accept the risk and you learn how to navigate throughout the risk and try to go ahead and avoid some of those pitfalls. Speaking of former Raiders, Stanford route. Stanford, you saw the Hall of Fame game. You saw how Josh McDaniels played his guys. What You're Josh McDaniels. What are you doing Sunday against the Vikings? How are you playing Derek Carr, Devontae Adams, Max Crosby? How are you handling your lineup? Well, assuming right now nobody has any nicks or bruises, assuming right now everybody is 100% healthy and they don't even have anything that so much as a, as a hangnail that they would consider an ailment, I would let them go ahead and play a series just enough to go ahead and get the flow of things. Just, hey, if it's a three and out, it's a three and out. Offensively, defensively, I don't care. But I want them to go through pregame. I want them to go ahead and get a sweat. I want them to go ahead and just somehow, some way, get a little bit of dirt on your uniform. Obviously, Derek Carr, you don't want him to get dirty. But the other guys, get them used to the actual routine of going down for pregame. And then the rest of the offense, the rest of the defense comes out. It's 11 on 11. It's that type of a warm-up. Go back into the locker room. Have your pregame pep talk, things like that. Then come out. You got the national anthem. You got kickoff. Your first series, it's a three and out. Or maybe you score a touchdown. Or maybe you give up a touchdown. Something like that. And then get them out of the game. And then, then they can go ahead, coach up the young guys. They can go ahead and be kind of like that on-the-sideline type of coach for the undrafted players. People 
something like that. But I still want you to get some version of some sort of work against somebody in a different color uniform. Let's talk about some of the camp stories so far. I think one of the big stories has been Nate Hobbs. How hard is that transition year one of slot corner to being on the outside? Because it looks like he's going to have to be the guy, and he's, he's earning it. Oh, well, definitely. Moving from inside to outside or outside to inside is always going to be very tough because the ball, everything comes quicker when it's inside. Outside, you're dealing with a different type of receiver, usually more of the bigger receivers, the guys outside the numbers, you know, 6'2", 6'3", 6'4", things like that. Inside, you're going against the Hunter Renfros of the world, the Cooper Cups of the world. You get, get what I'm saying. So it's a, dif- it's a different schematically. It's a different mentality. It's a different from more zone coverage inside, probably the more man coverage and things like that outside. So for Nate Hobbs doing as well as he's done in camp thus far, I think that's great. And now you just want to see him go ahead and transfer that to the preseason games against other teams and see how he matches up against other outside receivers. Uh, there's still quite the battle at right tackle. We don't know what the official condition is of Brandon Parker, if it's a long-term injury, if he's going on IR, if he can bounce back in a couple of weeks. But it looks like right now Alex Leatherwood is in position to get the job. The Jets went out and signed Dwayne Brown. Should the Raiders be looking for someone to fortify right tackle, give more competition to Leatherwood? I don't, I don't think I would have spent $22 million like the Jets did on Dwayne Brown, but what should the Raiders be doing right now at right tackle? Well, if they're not sold on uh, Alex Leatherwood or anybody like that, then they do need to go ahead and look elsewhere, look on the street or something like that to go ahead and bring in some competition to see exactly what you have. You might have a diamond in the rough. You never know. But I think that with Dwayne Brown now being off of the street with the New York Jets, that pretty much took, in my opinion, the only person that was on the market that has the ability to come in and be the starter, the starting right tackle for the Las Vegas Raiders. So I understand exactly where you're going with the money aspect but also at the same time you still want to make sure that you're protecting Derek Carr's front side uh, within this passing attack that we are all expecting to be very prolific this coming season with a Darren Waller with a Hunter Renfro and now the newly acquired Devontae Adams aka Derek Carr's college roommate so I think that uh, you definitely want to make sure that you cover all bases that way you can make sure that Derek Carr stays upright most of the season. So I know you haven't had a chance to watch the whole episode of Hard Knocks and we're talking to Stanford Route, but you know, I was running it by you that Dan Campbell, super emotional guy. We saw it last year. He's a yeller. Yeah. He also gets so worked up sometimes he starts crying. Uh, Jamal Williams is kind of rubbed off on him. He may have been like this already, but he made a speech during Hard Knocks where he was talking about losing and that ain't us and we can't do this anymore and he started crying. You've been around emotional coaches and players. What's it like? And is there a point where you're like, okay, now it's it might be a little too much, guys. <laughs> well, if it's somebody who's always talking to the team and they're always emotional, like yeah. a couple times a week, you get to the point where you kind of tune them out, or you just get to a point where it just it, it just it's redundant. It's a, it's monotonous. But whenever it's somebody who does not address the team as much, when they don't address the team as often, or they don't get emotional as often, whenever somebody gets emotional like Jamal Williams did in that clip, you have no choice but to connect with that. You have no choice but to gravitate to it because he's emotional about winning. Why the hell else do we play this game? Why the hell else do you strap up the pads? Why do you go out there in 100-degree weather in the middle of August? 
in training camp all to do that if you don't want to win. So whenever somebody is that passionate about winning, you have no choice but to gravitate and connect with them because if you don't connect with them, well, somebody's asking, what the heck is wrong with you? Why somebody who wants to win, why does that seem like a foreign concept to you? Why does that seem like something that you're not about? Otherwise, why are you even here? You might as well go ahead and hit the street. Believe in a Raiders podcast. It's out. Uh, Stanford Route and his buddy Dennis Ackerman. They're going to talk about passing yards for Derek Carr in 2022. How many catches for Devontae Adams and uh, future of the Raiders and uh, retired numbers down the road. Stanford, we know you're a busy guy. We appreciate the time on this Friday. Thank you so much. You guys be good, man. Talk to you next week. Y'all be safe out there. There he is, Stanford Route. Coming up, we're going to talk in about 15 minutes to one Curtis Terry about the Canadian Exhibition Tour for the Running Rebels. And good news, the games next week will all be broadcast. 7 o'clock tip right here on ESPN Las Vegas. That is uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. Cofield and Company will be back in minutes right here on ESPN Las Vegas. Field and Company on ESPN Las Vegas. Good, crank it up. Were you on the 15 at all today? Willing to come here? Okay. Well, as you get closer to, to uh, the Al, mm. you know, they have the sign up event night. Yep. Yep. And uh, Friday and Sunday. I was like, great. Okay, what, what event is going on on. Friday, so it's actually a legendary Latino band that's playing that actually just got back together a year ago. I, I had no idea, so I was kind of intrigued to do a little bit of research. They came back after 25 years, and they opened their latest tour. They're going to be here at Allegiant tonight. They opened their latest tour at SoFi, so this was a report from ABC in L.A. It's two hours away, but there's a long line already. And let me tell you, I would not be surprised if this concert sold out because of children who bought tickets for parents, for grandparents. This band has been around since the 70s, became a massive hit in Mexico and much of Latin America. Their hits really are emblematic for many of us of our childhood, of family, and love. Los Bukis? Los Buki? Bukis? Los Bukis. Is that right? I think. I don't know. Here's local radio in L.A. talking about that whole family angle and that uh, there's going to be a lot of older people who were really big fans of this group that started in 1975. They were gone for 25 years, and now there's a lot of kids out there who are like, hey, let's get our parents out to the show. So I think you're going to see a similar crowd. And You know, you think about it, you're like, wait, I've never heard of this group, right? I've never heard of a lot of groups. Um, they're playing Allegiant. Yeah, this is an emotional thing for a lot of people. Videos of children surprising their parents and grandparents with tickets exploded on social media. I believe that it was this big moment for this generation because we were like, what can we give them? What can we provide an experience? Because they're always working early mornings, late nights. They don't fun. What is fun? I felt really blessed. I feel like uh, there is nothing that I can give my parents. Okay, here come the tears. I knew I was going to cry. This is what I work for. This is what he brought me here for. It's so weird to say that, but I'm 31. I've seen my dad cry twice when my grandmother passed away when I gave him these tickets. There you go. Concert tickets making dad cry. Touching. That's pretty cool. 
You know who's old school and going to be singing the national anthem Sunday at the Raiders? Who? Mr. Las Vegas. Wayne oh. Newton. Just I got I got confused because we have a Mr. Las Vegas joke going on this show. I was like, yeah, no, Arash is not singing. Arash out of L.A. is going to be singing the national anthem? No, Wayne Newton's doing it. Okay. Yeah. That's cool. They just announced that. Figured I'd break it for you. I bet you there's some, some older folks. If uh, Wayne was playing a concert and uh, their kids got tickets for it, they might cry. Yeah. He's been around a long time. He has. He has. Like, as, like since he was singing and on a, on a big platform as like a 14-year-old. Right. That's a long career. Right. It's, I mean, he's, he's one, I mean, he wasn't part of the Rat Pack, but he's part of the original headliners of, that came to Vegas, you know, and sort of did those two-a-night two shows, two-week stints. Caesar, Saint, he was the Sands guy. He was at the, the old school Sands. Could you get your mom concert tickets and make her cry? Gosh, I would have to think about who that would be. Maybe Luciano Pavarotti. Is it yeah, Pavarotti? Oh. She likes Pavarotti. Maybe you, can get me, you can get me Bocelli tickets. I might cry. Okay. Did you? I might cry at the show. So, Uncle Paul. That music's just, intense. Uh, Bocelli just saying happy birthday to Uncle Paul. A couple, oh, yeah. A couple of weeks ago. All right. Yeah. He, Did your uncle cry? He t- no, they laughed, and then they sang a, a different version of My Way. He texted me about it. Nice. Yeah. That was kind of cool. I, my answer, uh, no one asked, but uh, for my mother, she's. She, I, don't, I don't think there's anything I'd get her where she would get, like, concert tickets where yeah, she'd get super emotional. Yeah, I, don't, I don't think that – I don't know about getting misty. Just, oh, thanks, you know. But. Well, you know, the angle on that story out of L.A. from last year with this group is that we were talking about, you know, a lot of people who maybe don't have a whole ton of money and their kids as, you know, second generation – Americans have kicked ass, and now they have some money to afford. You know, concert tickets are expensive. Yeah, Not yeah. everyone can afford to go to concerts. Right. So it was kind of like, hey, you know what? I've made it because of what you did. And as the that was a DJ from, I think it's 93.1 in L.A., who was like, you know, this is part of me, you know, achieving that I'm able to get my dad these tickets. They're, and they're, they, you said they opened at SoFi. They're coming here. They're also playing the Coliseum. That's 100000 plus. <laughs> That's big. I might sell that one out too. I might have to sneak in tonight. Take it easy. That's actually. You know what's funny? That's all I listen to. I actually listen to um, Mexican music in the car. Really? Oh, most of the time. And if I if I'm out back doing work, I listen to it there. I've got I've got my my uh, Alexa slash Pandora mm-hmm. so fooled that we only get Spanish commercials. On Pandora during breaks. When I'm grilling, I'm playing Bob Marley. Okay. That's what I throw on. And if I'm cleaning, I'm throwing on old school hip hop. Is that right? Yeah. Well, we'll we'll get into a little hip hop in the uh, the grab bag because I know there's a big anniversary today. But Curtis Terry's on the way, a former run rebel, one of the announcers for the Rebels. He'll be on the trip. They're going to Canada for an exhibition tour, three games next week. Really fired up to talk some uh, running rebel basketball. Join the conversation on Twitter at Cofield and Co. Now, back to Cofield and Company. The Raiders are the hardest team for me to protect in the NFL this year. I like so much about them, but there's never been a division in the history of the NFL that has Patrick Mahomes, Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, and Russell Wilson. And I don't think they have the defense to compete with the other three. Wow, Colin not fully behind the Raiders. A little bit critical. We'll get to what Colin was saying. Of course, host over on Fox Sports Las Vegas. We'll get to what he was saying in the Big Five. But let's talk a little 
UNLV basketball, running Rebels, going on a Canadian exhibition tour next week. So that means they've gotten a bunch of practices in. I think those are really valuable. Curtis Terry played the game. He analyzes the game. He's with Cofield and Company, the former running Rebel is. Curtis, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well, Steve. How are you doing, man? I'm good. The AFC West, according to Colin Coward, is the greatest division in the history of the NFL, especially now that your guy, Russell Wilson, is there. Yeah, my former guy, formerly known as my guy, Russell Wilson. Yeah. It, it, it hurts, but uh, I'm glad I'm glad he's in Denver. Well, <laughs> if you don't want to be with us, you can just hit the road. <laughs> well, you know, AFC West cities are stealing a bunch of guys from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, what do you think of the Rebels' new hire? Jamal Williams is in for the uh, surprisingly departed. I don't blame Brandon Chappelle for going to Texas. I'm sure it's a gigantic pay raise but you know just late in the game so tell us about the new assistant because you have some familiarity since you're uh, you know you are from the same area yeah no it's it's a, i mean i obviously coach kevin curtis had it tough i mean last year and this year in terms of with the transfer portal losing a bunch of guys and have to go and, and rebuild your roster he's done a great job but <laughs> you add in the mix this year he had to rebuild his, his coaching staff as well i mean i can't imagine obviously losing coach hartman losing Tim Buckley, um, and then late in the game, like you said, I mean, we're, we're what, two and a half, three weeks from school starting, um, and you lose you lose your, your assistant that's got the, the, the youth, the energy, the excitement, the fire. Um, with Brandon Chappelle going back home to Texas, you can't be mad at him, uh, but I think Kevin did a great job of going out and getting Jamal Williams, who was previously at Portland State, um, and a guy I am familiar with because he played at University of Washington. Uh, he also is familiar with the Mountain West as he played at New Mexico before that, uh, but he's a former teammate of Brandon Roy, I'm obviously a guy who's, who's beloved in Seattle and the Tacoma area. Um, but Jamal's coached a ton of guys that have had a lot of success. I mean, he was he was the head coach of the, the Seattle Rotary AAU team in Seattle uh, that featured Jaden McDaniels, that fe- featured Paolo Banchero, uh, Tari Eason, Marjan Brochamp. I mean, three guys right there that just got drafted in the first round this year. So he's, he's able to coach. Um, I think that's going to play, that's going to come into hand and play a huge way in terms of with recruiting and, and contacts. Um, and I've been preaching it. The thought first came to UNLV, I mean, almost 20 years ago. I hate to say that, but there's a lot of talent in the Pacific Northwest. So hopefully Coach Williams will be able to go up there and get some of those guys in that Seattle area to prime away from going to UW to, to keep them on the West Coast and get them down here to Vegas because I think there's, there's a lot of opportunity to have some success. Curtis, as a former player, I mean, you know relationships are really important between the players and the assistants because they have to do a lot of the heavy lifting stuff that maybe Kevin Kruger can't do at times. So what's it like for the holdovers on the Rebels? You know, that they're looking around, they're hearing all different voices, all different approaches, all different styles. You know, that, that, that's a big thing. I think that can come into play. But I think in this situation specifically, it's not going to have too much It's not gonna have too much impact because these guys didn't hear those voices before anyways, right? I mean, you're talking about a whole new crew of players coming in. Um, so it's not like they were familiar with Coach Hartman, Coach Buckley, Coach Chappelle. And so not only do they have to get used to each other as teammates, but they're the, even with the coaching staff. Um, and so you're really kind of hitting the reset. Everybody's kind of getting used to each other. And I think that's even more of a reason why this trip up to, to Canada is going to be important, not just for the players, but for the staff and everybody involved, just to do some bonding, just to get to know each other, uh, kind of figure out each other's personalities. And I think it's going to be a fun time for them to go up there and not only play some games, and they got these 10 practices in, uh, but to get away from Vegas for a bit uh, and just have some fun and bond as, as teammates and get to know each other. What do you like about this new collection of players? What's the roster look like? Man, it's and, and you've had a chance to see him, Steve, and, and, and uh, I've, I've checked him out a couple times uh, over the last two weeks when they were practicing. I got a chance to, to sneak in there and, and see them when they were working out earlier in the summer. 
Um, and I said this last year in terms of with the with the roster and the makeup of the guys that they were. We never had guys that they were this big, this athletic, this long. Well, I've, that was that's already outdated. That's a lie because this group of guys, in my opinion, is bigger, stronger, more athletic than what we had last year. Um, and I think the biggest thing is going to stand out is defensively what they're going to be able to do. Uh, everybody's kind of talked about um, in the Mountain West, you've got to be able to defend. And obviously, Boise State's a great defensive team. Obviously, San Diego State, what they've done year over year, and it's been led by their defense. Uh, I think Coach Kevin Kruger and his staff have put together a roster that's going to be able to compete with the likes of those types of teams, um, even more so on the defensive end. And that's where they're going to be able to, to hang their hat. And I think they're going to have some success there because they've got guys that can guard multiple positions. Uh, you talk about Eli Parquet, you talk about Luis Rodriguez, talk about two big guys on the wings that can guard. Uh, and then you also talk about David Mwoka, what he did last year coming on late, getting more confidence and protecting the rim. I think they've got a team that's going to be really, really good defensively. Um, I think that's probably going to show early. Um, but again, defense wins championships. So as long as they can keep themselves in the game defensively, they've got time to learn how to be able to, to score and be effective and efficient offensively. Rebels hitting Canada. It's coming up. Next week, three games. They'll all be here on ESPN Las Vegas. 7 o'clock starts. Curtis is on the call along with the voice of the Rebels, John Sandler. So, you know, a lot of Las Vegans are familiar with the name Isaiah Cottrell, but, you know, he's much bigger and stronger than he was when he was at Bishop Gorman. He spent a couple of years and had a you know bad injury at West Virginia. He's come back home. So based on what you've seen so far in uh, just a few practices, what would you tell people if they're like, hey, what kind of player is Isaiah Cottrell? Is he more offense, more defense? Uh, I, I would say Isaiah Cottrell is a player that's just matured. I mean, I think obviously when he was in high school at Bishop Gorman, a lot of the guys that come out of Bishop Gorman, uh, they're just head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. But I think it was big for Isaiah to be able to go to West Virginia to play for Bobby Huggins um, in, in the Big 12 and just have that type of competition. Obviously, it didn't end well for him. He got hurt, couldn't, couldn't quite get back to form. Uh, but I think him coming here now, he's a, he's a guy that's big and athletic and strong. Um, he's a good pick-and-pop guy. He can step out and shoot the three. I think he's going to give us a different dimension uh, for UNLV in terms of that four or five spot than what they've really had in terms of somebody that can play inside and outside truly, be able to knock down those threes, but be able to bang inside. And I think when you pair him with David Mwoka, they're, they're kind of yin and yang to each other in terms of different styles. David's obviously going to be much more quicker up and down the court, trying to run out in transition, try to catch lobs on those pick and rolls. Uh, but I think, today, I think um, Isaiah's going to be a guy where in terms of pick and pop, pick and pop he can ISO, triple threat. Play back to the basket, but again, I think it's going to be a good combination of what they can do inside. And I say it, but we haven't really had that from the Rebels in terms of contrasting players that can play together, but still give you something different night in and night out. Last year, best player on the team, no debate, Bryce Hamilton. This year, who's the best player on the team? Is it the sophomore Keyshawn Gilbert? Is it the guy who's sitting out and Elijah Harkless? Is it someone else? I don't know, man. Um, that's a tough. One. I think. I mean, if, if it's who's the best player, I mean, I'll have a better answer for you when we get back to Canada in a week, um, based on kind of what the guys are able to do up there and playing against some different competition. Um, I, I've got some guys that I think that could be the best player. I don't want to put that kind of pressure on them, but I think you've got a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. Um, someone that I'm high on um, is Keyshawn Gilbert. I think Keyshawn is he's taken a huge step from what most, most people are going to remember last year when he misses that corner three-pointer um, in front of the bench that would have won the game to move on in the, in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. He misses that shot. And I think some, some guys, that could break. 
I mean, because you're wide open as a three-pointer, and they don't even try to contest that to you. Um, that's almost a mental thing. But I think he's really worked on his outside shot. Uh, and believe it or not, you've seen him. I think the kid's grown a couple inches. And so he's gotten bigger uh, in terms of yeah. physically and, and height. He's gotten stronger. Um, and the kid's already had a chip on his shoulder and been a dog on defense. But now offensively, he's getting more comfortable running the point, uh, distributing, creating for his teammates. And he's also kind of getting that edge to be able to attack off a of pick and roll, get to the paint. Um, and if he doesn't have to kick, he can finish. And I, I'm, I'm really high on Keyshawn. Uh, but, again, I think when you talk about the guys on the wings, Eli, uh, even Shane Noel is a guy that's a former top 100 um, high school player coming out, transferring from Arizona. I think you've got a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things. They're going to surprise a lot of people because these guys played some big minutes and started a lot of games at their former schools. Um, unlike the group last year, some of those guys just didn't get the opportunity. Some of these guys have had their feet wet. Now it's about just kind of letting them loose and seeing what they can do. Yeah, the great thing about Keyshawn is you can't teach that kind of attitude. He's, he, yeah. he's got such fight in him, and it's really on, on both ends of the floor. Remind me, Curtis, when you played, did you guys get to go on one of these summer exhibition tours? Yeah, we did. And okay. guess where we went? We went to beautiful Vancouver, Canada. All right. Um, All right. So you're yeah. familiar. So, uh, how, yeah. how big a difference did it make in your season? I, I think this, especially with this kind of team that is now looking for a couple of lead dogs, trying to mix in six, seven new players, getting three games in, and more importantly, all these practices, I think it's massive. Yeah, I think it's huge. I think for, for me and my, my experience with it, um, it, we were in a situation where it was Coach Von Kruger's first year. Uh, we were returning the Killer Bees in, in Jarrell blasting game, Romel Beck, you know, Darty Blankson. So we had three guys that were first-team all-conference coming in, and they, we, we were expecting them to, to run the show and be the guys. And so it didn't give us everybody else a lot of chance to, to kind of do stuff, but it was a chance to get familiar and get comfortable in the bond. So that's, those are always the best parts of the trip to me from that standpoint. Uh, but I think in this case, it's going to be a chance for these guys to figure out where each other like to be on the floor, where they like to get shot. Um, if they're really going to lay it out there every possession, every play, it's easier practice when the coaches are there and trying to impress. What are you going to do when the lights come on? Are you going to take those charges? Um, and so I think it's a good opportunity for these guys to do that. Now, obviously, we're, we're not going to the Bahamas like Kentucky did um, or Wyoming. I know they went over to Europe, um, but I, I, I get to go to Canada again. But I'm, I'm still a little salty with Coach Long Kruger, and I think I mentioned this to him the other day when I saw him that the year I graduated, that was the fourth year, and they went to Australia that summer, and I oh, didn't wow. get to go. So somehow I got the short end of the stick, but at least I get to go to Canada twice. But I basically was just there a couple weeks ago because I went home to Seattle. So, Curtis, <laughs> yeah, we got like 30 seconds left. Willie's got one for you. Curtis, right up against it, yesterday was the birthday of hip-hop. If you were to go back to your old school, what's the one song you're turning on to celebrate hip-hop? Oh, man, I couldn't on the spot. First man, one that came to, I, the first I, one that came to your mind has got to be the one. I'm a Tupac guy, so I, right, I mean that's, and that's really more rap than hip hop. But um, okay. I, I'm a Tupac guy, and that's that's, that's what I like. Um, but right. I don't know. You probably that's know better it. than me. You're probably more well versed in the <laughs> true hip hop than Willie. <laughs> this is true. Wow. Okay. Bold proclamation there by Willie Curtis. We're looking forward to hearing you on the air next week. Uh, you know, really appreciate that you and John are going to be on the trip. I think it's great for Rebel fans. There's going to be radio and then uh, delayed video they'll be posting. So have a great time on this trip and uh, this. I'm looking forward to the season. I feel like they're at least more well-equipped uh, this time around to really uh, battle with the bruisers in the Mountain West Conference. Yeah, it's going to be fun. Thanks for having me, guys. We're going to make sure we bring the game to everybody on ESPN Radio Las Vegas. Tune in. It's going to be basketball season before you know it. There he is, Curtis Terry. We're the Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We're getting in the end of the work week. Come on down. 
Try their Loco Mocos. I didn't even know these were on the menu. The original or the Cajun Moco. How about that?